Welcome to another episode of Stories from the Atlantic. I'm your host, Svavar Jonathanson. You know the signs in residential streets, saying slow, children, possibly appearing suddenly, running after a ball? In this episode, it's another type of behavior by kids that we are looking out for, one which spells more deviance than thoughtlessness. It was while sitting in a small cafe in the botanical garden in Reykjavik on a rainy afternoon with my friend and his eight-year-old daughter that I had the idea for this episode. A few kids scurried around looking at the goldfish swimming in the pond as the grown-ups sat and talked by the sound of rain dripping on the roof. As I look up at one point, a kid of about eight years of age stands poised at the edge of the pond, holding a large pitcher of milk, and while grinning, pours it in. The milk spreads like a mist in a sci-fi movie through the clear water, a ghostly white fog spreading. I notified the staff in hopes of a quick reaction to scoop up the milk, which, for some reason, I imagined to be harmful for the fish. The boy's mother soon came to scold him, and the other kids watched in awe and disbelief as the kid, who was soon to become that kid in their memory, was led out by his mother, her voice hushed but loud, faced with an embarrassing situation in public. From that little moment, I decided to focus on what in Icelandic would be called prakarastrik, or misbehaving, and began asking random people for their personal memories, with the promise of anonymity, if they chose. I hit the streets and asked a young man if he remembered misbehaving during his childhood, which in one case came from his opposition to wearing glasses. Okay, when I was younger, I was, my father and mother uh, did buy me a glasses because I need to use glasses. And I was like six years old, maybe seven, and I didn't like these glasses. So I was always taking them off, you know, off me and putting them behind the bed, you know, hiding them. And one time my dad was trying to, you know, fix the room, like, you know, how to say it? Clean it? Yeah, I just cleaned the room and he broke the glasses three times. I was always hiding them behind the, behind the bed to my father break it. It was a, it was yeah. a plan. Yeah, it was a plan. <laughs> thank you. See you. Hey, thank you. Have a good day. Inside the car park of the shopping mall Kringlan, where we used to hang out as teenagers, I now saw no signs of deviant behavior, only adults coming or going to spend money. I spoke to Margret and Hulta, who shared their memories of childhood misbehavior. Um, I was a kid in a house. He took a rock and a rock and a rock and a rock and Gerðum reglulega að stífla klóstið með að tróða bílum, klósetrúlanum ofan í og... Og, that's and. Before the and, there was her and her brother, as little kids, him once shaving half her head, and the more common activity, throwing toy soldiers and toilet paper into the toilet in order to clog it. And then the mischievous, though sincere attempt at making their own breakfast, while their parents slept putting flour, baking powder and whatnot into the coffee machine at the age of three to five. This behavior did get punished with spanking, but she said they never would have done it on their own. But in some way they magnified each other's fearlessness, something that she says faded out a few years later as her brother started school. There was the story of one kid who due to a heart condition could not get too excited. This seemed only to encourage siblings and friends who at one point put a dirty diaper onto the head of said kid, a not-too-calming experience, I'm sure. Her friend Hulta remembered the kid who had made history in her school. 
Eina sem ég man eftir að strákur í skólanum sem að sprengdi klósett skál með víti og gerði allt vitlaust í skólanum. At around the age of 10, this kid, or that kid, had blown up the school toilet with a homemade bomb made out of powder from fireworks, resulting in havoc. The bomb was called Hell, or Vite, coming from the name of the firework he got the flammable powder from. This type of behavior made up a couple of weeks each year in my own childhood, as we would stockpile the most innocent fireworks and then get to work on manufacturing our own homemade explosives. These bombs could blow up louder and more destructive than the legal Chinese-made kid stuff, which is amazing to think that they would sell the kids in the first place. Our own inventions were used either in the open, or when the need for excitement grew, dropped into garbage cans or taped onto the occasional window. It makes me cringe to think of the crazy stuff we, me and my accomplices, did as kids. But is every kid a likely candidate for such behavior? And can every innocent-looking angel of a child be capable of such mayhem and destruction? In the noisy, echoey car park, I began to see parents with kids, and the question in my mind came from a place of distrust. A mother holding the hand of her 10-year-old boy, whose kind and loving face seemed to me a cover for a more sinister side, a false innocence, which his poor mother held onto with an iron grip, like the hand of her darling boy. They walked past a man in his 40s who was putting his infant child into the car and for no fair reason I projected an image of a future rebel, troublemaker and possibly its parents' nightmare unto this innocent until proven guilty child. I might have been projecting a stereotype unto every person I saw and so I set about to ask every person I met of stories from their youth about bad behavior of any kind. A group of 15-year-old boys working for the city sat on a break with their supervisor Brynjar who told me of a defining event in his childhood based on a misunderstanding. Og ég er hann að hlaupandi eftir honum bara tveim, þrem metrum eftir honum. Og þegar hann dettur þá skellur hann í jörðina og ég stíg á hausinans og rotan. His best friend pulled off his hat during recess while they stood outside the door during winter only moments before being let back in. He ran after him, but when his friend slipped on ice and fell to the ground, Brynjar couldn't stop and accidentally stepped on his best friend's head knocking him unconscious. The other kids, of course, spoke of him as the kid who trampled on his best friend's head, leading to a reputation which didn't help with his social status as he had been bullied in school. The friendship, on the other hand, was unharmed, lasting to this day, but he did not manage to convince the other kids of his innocence. With all the wicked things kids, I among them, sadly, have done to other kids, Brynjar's accident reached the status of infamous bad behavior. One of the young boys on his work crew told me how when he was in second grade, he told all his classmates that he had the answers to an upcoming math test. As it was a multiple-choice test, he simply made up a random assortment of answers, A, C, D, C, B, A, D, leading to catastrophic results. I thought it was truly amazing that someone would risk the anger of all his peers at such a young age, something that he said he couldn't care less about at the time. Was this a sign of a deviant genius, or someone who had not thought things through to the end? My short conversation with him suggested the former. 
though he said there was not much thought behind this novel and gutsy deviance. The streets of Altamire were quiet, with no kids in sight. When growing up, the deviants, pranks, and sometimes crazy behavior seemed larger than life, with the world seemingly crashing down, especially when the risk of consequences seemed large. Scolded, kicked out of school, disappointing your parents, or in my case, my mother more so, who took it worse than my father, doing a few years of misbehaving in various ways. Setting things on fire, exploding things, destroying things in love with chaos, which at one point led to our teacher having a nervous breakdown, of sorts, following a line of unfortunate events. We were bad, now that I think of it. Though I do remind myself of possible memory distrust syndrome, shout out to Professor Gisli Guionzon, magnifying events by my own interrogation. Who the hell thought of the soda can scam, making a lot of small change by cheating the recycle machine, or the theft of candy inside the hollow football? Can we blame it on any of us guys? Come on, who is the real culprit? Leading the rest of us astray during those years of misbehaving, in between the hours of applying ourselves to become the next soccer superstars. Should we perhaps point our fingers at the movies we watched, like Terminator 2, Ricochet and New Jack City? Or do we blame it on the lyrics and music, perhaps Ice-T's Body Count or N.W.A. straight out of Compton? I think we all drank from the Kool-Aid and daring each other to go ahead with ideas that now seem ludicrous. How many eggs did we throw at houses? How many Molotov cocktails did we send hurling at walls of empty underground tunnels? How many construction sites did we break into and climb to the sky by means of cranes and scaffolding? Can it be that we were an elite unit of anarchy, a battalion of daredevils, or just devils, fallen angels, soon to rise again into an innocent adult lifestyle of nine-to-fives? As I walked the peaceful streets, pondering the various angles of misbehaving, I came across a strange sight where the construction of a sun port included two massive wooden beams, which by means of a triangular structure at the top were designed to hold a swing. The two short ropes hanging from each, with no swing at the end, looked like nooses hanging from the gallows pole, a truly dark twisted reminder when it comes to the question of punishment. But kids get away with a lot, I guess, though the question of different cultures and religions comes up in the context of punishment. Times have changed a lot, but growing up in the 90s in Iceland, I can't remember ever hearing about anyone suffering worse than a spanking in extreme cases. Just thinking about my own misdeeds in childhood and early teenage deviance was hard when I spoke to an elderly lady who shared the only memories she could remember of childhood deviance. <laughs> She grew up in downtown Reykjavik, when it was still gravel roads and farms between the growing apartment buildings of a fast-growing city. In one of those gardens grew rhubarb, which she and her friends would often steal and eat. The woman who owned it reacted in such an angry and overblown way, screaming at them, that it probably made it more fun for the kids. The woman frequently called the police, which, if they showed up, only told the kids to lay it off, please, as if hinting at the problem being not their stealing rhubarb, but the woman's reaction, which was in every view, to the police, the parents, way out of proportion. Whether the woman had some mental illness or was unstable, she can't say all these decades later, though it would not have come as a surprise. 
By comparison, my childhood seemed truly criminal compared to hers and brought up the question of deviant behavior in kids by decades. After we had spoken about the weather, North Korea and gardening, I let her get on with sweeping the sidewalk during the rare dry moment in this wet summer of ours. The question of language also comes into the equation and the use of words to describe behavior. Misdeed is by the dictionary definition a bad action when referring to children, while wrongdoing refers to an illegal act, most used in politics and business. How to react to misdeeds, bad behavior, pranks or any other form of problematic behavior is the large industry of counselors, psychiatrists, teachers, books using science, religion or philosophy and the headache of every or at least most parents. It was further down the street that I spoke to Arthur Coleman about doing stupid stuff as a kid in Texas, USA. We're in a barn, two stories, second story of a barn, and we're pushing hay bales around, and there was a trap door, you know, where we're dropping them through. Well, one of them got caught on the edge. So instead of pushing on the backside, and dropping it down, I took and pulled on it, and the minute I pulled on it, it fell through the trap, and of course I went with it straight. I missed a truck bed by about this much. I would have plowed my head into that, and I wouldn't be here. <laughs> wow! How old was this? Uh, I think I was about uh, eight or nine at the time. Do you remember how you? How you felt? Do you remember it clearly? The, you know, the. <laughs> I can still see it right now. Uh, well, I can see standing at the top, and the next thing is I'm down at the bottom. This was awful. Was that all? An honest mistake while working as a kid in a barn, and nearly paying for it with his life, before giving into hopelessness, faced with the most innocent childhoods of folks on the street, I fished for some real deviance, hoping to feel less shitty about my own bad behavior. More stupid stuff? Anything that comes to mind? Of, uh, or were you, were you that just such a good kid that there was No, I wasn't it? that good a kid. Right now, you, you, you sort of push those memories back and you, know, you try to- Oh, there's there's that You take that a talk. shovel. <laughs> yeah, you take a shovel. You shovel it like the shit. <laughs> yeah, and bury it as much as you can, but- uh, Shall we keep him there or is there anything that's- uh, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of anything else that- uh, you <laughs> <laughs> <We'd>, <laughs> uh, not really. I can't really think of anything at the it's, moment. <laughs> it's just at the surface. Your laughter is just. <laughs> well, when you're 81 years old, you have a tendency to put some of that stuff and you bury it. You know, <laughs> you take the shovel, and push the lid down, and <laughs> push the lid down and hope it never comes back up again. That's it. <laughs> we found some common ground and left it at that. Unset buried in the darkness of the past. Now Arthur is retired after 20 years in the U.S. Navy, living in California with little memory of his childhood deviance. Sixth grade, 11-year-olds brought hard liquor to what, like a ball? Or? At the Reykjavik campsite, I spoke to a group of young people from Massachusetts who told me of some of the memorable behavior at their school, including when some eighth graders were vaping cannabis in the bathroom which led to the school taking out the bathroom doors, and the sixth graders that brought liquor to a dance. 
Then there was a kid that was dabbing, that is using a potent form of cannabis, under his hoodie during the actual taking of the MCAS, or Massachusetts Comprehensive Assessment System. This kid, now known as that kid, in ninth or 10th grade, wrote a half-page essay, which in essence was directly copied from Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham, which didn't lead him to scoring high, but did gain him infamy among his schoolmates, who all remember his action as a highlight of crazy behavior. On a beautiful sunny evening in early July, I walked through the botanical garden where I had originally had the idea for this episode, seeing a boy of perhaps eight years old pouring a pitcher of milk into a goldfish pond with a grin on his face. The fish seemed unharmed a week later, and the boy's actions had not altered their life in any dramatic way. I walked around the plants and flowers, enjoying the soft sunlight, glittering through the deep green leaves of the trees, lighting up clouds of flies that seemed to hang in midair like some sort of weightless translucent jewels. At the entrance of the park, I spoke to Georgi and Lukas from Hungary and Lithuania, each sharing a not-so-distant memory of childhood pranks or devilment, a seldom-used but fitting name for bad behavior. Georgi, before sharing his own story, started with the story of his uncle, who as a kid took misbehaving to a rather dangerous level. I think my uncle did it when he was a kid. I think he set the rug on fire in the living room. <laughs> that, that was amazing. I was like a minor in elementary with my twin brother and one of my other friends. And the, there was this uh, place outside and there was a, a toilet and, and it was closed. So we decided we really have to pee so we, we will bang this door down. And we just flew into it as many times as we possibly could. And in the end, we, we busted in, had to pee, and then, you know, we got a, we got a um, sad emoticon in our, <laughs> like... In your track record. Yeah, for, like, you know, for destroying stuff or something. Lucas, growing up in Lithuania, added the classical element to childhood deviance, which is perhaps the hardest thing for parents to deal with. Um, this Khrushchev-style Eastern European, you know, like a tall block house. And uh, so we were just walking around with the random doors because in like these big, big apartments in the big houses, they have a lot of doors which just lead everywhere in the different floors. Uh, so we found in one of the, um, in one of the flat, we, st we found these, uh, uh, the thing from the bullets, like what's it called? Yeah. Cartridges. Yeah, yeah, cartridge. So basically, we found cartridges, and you know, of course, we were younger, like, whoa, we found a lot of bullets, you know, and it's just, we just were imagining how we're gonna find, we have to just find a gun and we can just fire it. Like, uh, so we just, uh, instead of that, we just, uh, you know, we had a, in our imagination how we're taking those bullets and then putting in like an imaginary gun and then just throw it out of the window from like sixth floor or something. And uh, one of them, well, it, not, it didn't hit a car, but it like hit on the floor and then just jumped over in, into the car. And then we realized that this is, this is not good. We're going to get fucked here. So we just started running all around the building, just, you know, hiding or something because we thought that somebody's like catching us. And I, I, I think that I don't remember correctly. That might have been that somebody was actually 
like trying to chase us well that's that was the interesting part like at the it was also kind of because in the first grade uh, i went to a really bad with really bad kids in a really you know low quality school and i uh, got with a very bad company and uh, uh, we were the the bad guys at that point it was like Classic excuse. 70 80 yeah. but then later on i went like the my mom got me to a normal school and then it was really really nice uh, so then that the the point was just completely lowered to whatever so in my i mean in my just childhood i was like really hyperactive and asshole but i think later on it just turned out really you know just more mature maybe i don't finding the reason for someone's bad behavior and the bad influence of others i'm sure is a reasonable defense mechanism for many parents preserving sanity and a belief in yourself as a parent my child would never do something like that were it not for someone else's influence it's true that often there is someone who pushes others forward a natural leader of deviant rascals, perhaps destined for a role in politics, business, or a life of crime, which is what deviant behavior is called after a certain age. Me and my friends were perhaps not perfectly equal when it came to deciding on stupid and crazy things to do, but most of us did not need a lot of convincing. There was a manic and intense energy that grew when we had set our minds to something and reached an extreme high when we were close to getting caught or being chased, either by grown-ups or in some case, the police. Most things never came to the attention of our parents, something I realized when warning my mother about this episode and the small silent shock she had, hearing some of it 25 years after the fact. It felt strange, a little bit sad, to burst some kind of a bubble, not of a perfectly behaved son, but still far from the reality of my shenanigans, which included the following. As a toddler, climbing, hiding, and escaping out windows seemed to be my passion, with no real memories of being bad. Until the age of 10, there was non-stop exploring on bicycle or skateboard around my Danish working-class neighborhood, with a few intense memories of doing bad things. And hanging out with an older friend gave me a preview of what girls added to the life of a 12-year-old boy. Those years seem in memory to have been full of adventure and mischievous acts, along with a fight to gain more freedom. Still, I was in bed by 8 o'clock, listening to children's stories on my cassette player, far from running wild. Back in Iceland at the age of 10, I played with toy guns as well as homemade BB guns, threw snowballs, a national sport of Icelandic kids, at windows and cars, which also became a form of transportation, hanging onto the rear bumper, unknown to the poor driver, reaching scary speeds. Fireworks, a major thing in Iceland, became an obsession, leading to homemade bombs, as well as anything that could break or shatter. I also did do constructive things in the traditional sense, like collecting cans, playing games with my peers, reading, watching documentaries, though violent movies, rock music and anything with a rebel spirit got more of our attention. I played soccer and basketball with a burning obsession, and then partly misbehaved in between. Thirteen years old, I was idolizing Al Capone, dreaming of being a gangster with my best friend, until I turned more towards a love of books and nature. At 14, I was sniffing tobacco, sniff, and smoking cigarettes in secret, cherishing a strange sense of self outside the knowledge of parents, a game of sneaking and hiding my behavior. At 15 or 16, I began drinking, resulting in some of my most crazy behavior over a period of 15 years, more destructive on a deeper level than what came before. I never felt that my bad behavior had anything to do with God, as in a sin, perhaps a sign that religion didn't weigh heavy on me, even though my parents said the Lord's Prayer with me and my sister before going to bed as kids. Some of my behavior was bad in the simplest term, 
but the excitement and or peer pressure obviously tended to outweigh critical thinking. These confessions lack details and therefore risk a false or skewed image, most likely sounding worse than what my childhood and teenage years actually were. And so, just as a disclaimer and to call my mother, who along with my father did their best at every time to balance freedom, responsibility and respect while raising me, I'd like to say that there was more good behavior than bad, I hope. As I walked out of the botanical garden, I came across two girls sitting on a bench by a little pond, and at the risk of spoiling a peaceful moment, I asked for any memories of misbehaving, the first coming from Berlin. A wedding I went to with my family, I was like five years old or something, and the couple that got uh, married, they had a new car that they wanted to go on a big trip with afterwards, and I was little and I took a stone and I started drawing on that car and scratching it to the man. Yes. <laughs> and I basically destroyed a car, a new one. Well, the big question is, what did you draw? I don't remember. I just know the story because everybody is telling it to me over and over again. <laughs> what a little shit I was. <laughs> I have to laugh because now they're like, now the couple has a lot of money, but back then it was kind of a big deal for them to have this new car. And I mean, I still draw and paint, so maybe that was a start. <laughs> so. Her friend from Slovenia had a memory that resurfaced much later with emotional consequences. Uh, I just remember I was with my sister. We went to this sports field, stadium or how you call it. And I don't know why, I just... We were in the middle of this field and I <laughs> took her pants off and I'm, I think I was angry at her at some point. She's younger than me and, um, I, and then when after did, when I did this, I was so, so ashamed of myself and I was really scared that she's going to tell my parents what have I done to her, but she didn't say nothing. And after so many years, I think maybe, I don't know, five years ago, I asked her, um, Maya, do you remember what have I done to you? And she said, what? And I uh, told her this story and she was, no, I don't remember. You did this to me. What kind of sister you are? <laughs> and she was really surprised that I've done this. And that's it. Uh, no, 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 no. Now, now it's okay. But I remember this feeling afterwards. I felt really, oh my God, what kind of person I am that I did this. Why? Why? And I was really scared of my parents that they will, I don't know, do something if my sister would tell them. The effect we can have on others, even as children, is not to be underestimated. Kids can have various reasons, like jealousy and anger, for their bad behavior, and in some cases, trauma can be the reason or the effect, a reminder that the scale of mischievous behavior is wide and troubling at times. And then the fact that kids can be extremely vicious, especially when it comes to bullying. The subject of misbehaving or bad behavior, whatever you want to call it, has countless aspects which are beyond this simple episode. To name a few, the various ideas of how to raise kids, punishment versus encouragement, role of school versus parents in raising kids, the use of language and how it affects our perception of right and wrong, 
the cost of pranks to society, the formative aspects of breaking rules, and with today's technology and obsession with control, you have to wonder how kids could get away with anything anymore. I recently spoke to a former teacher from elementary school who seemed more upset over the morbid obsession kids now have with their cell phones at school than are smoke bombs, jammed locks, and skateboarding inside the school 20 years ago, perhaps a sign of normal childhood in his mind. And so, the examples of innocent pranks by small kids commonly have a longer timeline, and if not ending at some point, either develop into something acceptable for a grown-up, perhaps a prankster, or becomes more troubling. To those listening, I hope today's topic has brought back your own not-too-horrible memories of childhood escapades, and that this will not scare you away from having kids of your own, if you want. That is to say, if you haven't already. We end this episode of Stories from the Atlantic with the song Monkeys by the Icelandic band Horrible Youth, of which the drummer, my friend Frosty Jón Runolsson, was part of our core group of troublemakers back in the days, but he started deviating from expected behavior early on in kindergarten, where he would climb the fence daily and head back home, a rebel at heart. You can find the link to the music video to the song Monkeys on our website, storiesfromthenatlantic.com. Until next time, take care. <laughs>